At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Today, we're going to conclude the series with the idea that genuine faith is revealed through actions. We're going to be in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. Let's pray one more time. Father, we are available. We're here with open hands, God, with open arms. Take us all. Have us all. We just want to see you move powerfully in our lives the same way you moved in the lives of the Israelites as they were escaping Egypt and slavery, God. How you have scattered nations before them so that the world would know that you are alive, that you are powerful, that you are God and that we are your people, God. Unfold that powerful, powerful glory in our lives just as it's unfolding in heaven, God. We, we want to share your miracles, your work, your promises, your truth in our lifetimes, in the lives of our kids, in the lives of our grandkids. Lord, we want to talk about it because we know that your legacy is written on the fabric of our lives. Help us follow as your spirit leads. In Jesus' name, amen. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? I want to stop there for a minute. See, during the first two chapters of this book, James has been laying out for his readers simply what mature faith looks like. And now he's concluding on this very fact that faith is something that can be seen and felt visibly in the lives of those who are faithful. I think all of us would agree to that, right? That, that's, a, that's a statement all of us would agree to, right? That believing in something and saying we believe in something and actually believing it are two very different things. And James wants to make that distinction for all of us. What good is it, he asks. More, more precisely, what good is the kind of faith that has all the right answers, all the right words, and it's not exercised? What James is really compelling his readers to reflect on is something from the Sermon on the Mount, actually, right? It brings us to Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, this is Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In verse 24, I'm going to skip a few verses, Jesus continues to say, everyone then who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. You see, Jesus understood that that there are two types of people. One type of person hears the gospel and applies the gospel and lives like the gospel matters in their life. The other is someone who hears the gospel and hides it away and does nothing with it. And I mean, let, let's be honest, right? Sometimes don't we feel like that as people of faith? We, we go through the motions of faith, but we don't really apply faith in our lives. I mean, it's one thing to know that the lengths and the heights and the depths 
that God went to save us, it's totally different to actually risk our lives in that belief and do something because we're called to do it in faith. I've been studying, you know, this passage, and I found in Matthew, it's so interesting as I continue to read this, when we continue to read in Matthew the miracles and the healings and the teachings of Jesus, what we find is there's a direct connection. There, there's a system that Jesus puts in place where the people who are being healed, where the people who are being taught, Jesus says um, immediately after he teaches and he heals, he says, now go, go and do. Go and do and live life different than the way you found me. But some of us as Christians, we come and our lives are changed the one hour of the 168 hours of the week here at church, and then we go and we do not. We don't live like this one hour here matters where we worship God, where we believe in God, where we believe in his promises, where we believe in his truth, and we walk away from church like it doesn't mean anything or doesn't apply to the rest of our lives. And now when Jesus says this, he heals people and he says, now go show people. Go show people. Do life. Live different. I mean, we ask boldly for God to move mountains in our life. And the, the next thing we do after we pray that prayer is we go out the door and we curse out the person in front of us because they cut us off, singing, God, bless my soul. Bless my soul. What kind of faith moves mountains? Not a faith like that. Not a faith that forgets how to apply the faith that we've been gifted. Let's go to verses 15 to 17 in James chapter 2, right? Because James wants us to pay attention to our lives. Because genuine faith is revealed in our actions. 15, verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. See, this, this hypothetical example that James is giving here, it's actually happening in the first century. It's happening to first century Christians. It happens today, right? So when he says brother or sister, he's saying brother or sister because the person that he's talking about, we're familiar with that person. We've lived life with them. We've even hung out with them. We call them friends. We can even call them an old friend. But this is the type of person that we encounter. And all we simply do, and this is what James says, is we say a prayer hoping that God will answer that person's prayers, yet not doing anything for them. How worthless. How worthless are those types of friends, right? And, and I mean, this is happening now, right? Maybe we can't relate to that because we're not that type of people. We're not the type of person, we're not the type of people where we see someone in trouble that we don't do anything about it. We may not pray for them, but we definitely do something about it, right? We'd pull out a $5 bill from our wallet. We'd pull out, you know, a 20 even, but we would do something. But let let, let, let let, let me just kind of stop and pause for a second. What I want us to think is, yes, we might be able to say, hey, if I see something very tangible, this friend who is in need, this friend who doesn't have a jacket or a coat or doesn't have a car, it's broken down, yeah, we'll, we'll help them. We'll go out of our way once. But let, let, let's, let's talk about the pleasantries in life, shall we? We say, how are you? Are you doing well? And God forbid that person stops you for a 10-minute diatribe, right? Because you know that happens. All you wanted to hear is, yes, I'm fine. How are you, right? 
Yeah, I know, right? That, that's me, right? All I wanted to hear you say is yes, and they say, no, I have problems. And so then you're like, oh, now, now, now you got to listen, but you don't want to listen. You didn't have time for that. You didn't have time when you asked. You just did it because that's what Christians so, are supposed to do. We're supposed to ask and feel and, you know, say to people we care, but, you know, God forbid that we actually care for them. And, and so, you know, th- this, this, is, this is not just, you know, judgment against you. This, this is against me, right? So when I first married Michelle, um, Michelle actually noticed this about me. I said a lot of empty words to a lot of people. In fact, that's what business school teaches you to do, isn't it? Pleasantries. Make the small talk, right? This is how you get ahead in life, right? It's all about EQ, right? And so I used to go out of my way to say, how are you? Praying to God deeply that they would not answer, right? Because if they answered, I'd lose 10 minutes of my life. I didn't care if their boyfriend or girlfriend dumped them. It just didn't matter, right? I didn't care how, how they were late to work. I just didn't care. I just wanted them to say, yes, Jonathan, thank you for asking, how are you? Check mark off. I've done my job as a person. I'm going to move ahead with my career. That, that's, what I, that's what I was hoping. And so Michelle noticed this, right? Because you know what, what actually happens is people actually start telling you, right? They start telling you, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, people will tell you, right? When, when they're low and they're sick and when they're tired, they will tell you. And when they tell you, I'm thinking in my head, man, what am I going to eat for lunch? But Michelle, who's oftentimes standing there next to me, is really embarrassed, right? Because here Jonathan is, this sociopathic person that she married, doesn't really care. She, he just asked. And so, you know, like, she's like hanging on every single word. Like, how can I help you? Where, where, where's my purse? Where's my wallet? Where's my calendar? How can I help you seven ways from tomorrow, right? And so meanwhile, I'm thinking in my head, man, did the Knicks lose yesterday? I know the Pistons did, right? Like, th- this is what's going in my head. And so Michelle says eventually, she, she eventually she got tired and she was like, that, you know, you need to stop. If you don't care, stop asking, right? But I mean, how many people of us just continue to ask even if we don't care? But th- this is what that faith is like, isn't it? Th- this is what faith without actions is like. If it didn't matter, what, what, why do we even bother? And, and so, you know, th- this, this is going to help us in this situation, because when I stopped asking, it freed me. It freed me to actually care and do for the people I did ask. Isn't that amazing? That when we actually stop going through the motions, stop faking it. Yeah, some people are going to be upset that you stopped asking them how they're doing. But that they'll get over it real quick, I guarantee you. Because when they get over it, they'll realize that you're actually doing for them, that you're actually hanging off their words. And this is a freedom that's found in faith. This is a freedom that we all have, we just need to be able to stop pretending, right? I mean, faith without actions is that. This is the point James is making for all of us, right? Faith manifests itself through actions. And so some of us, some of us, right? This is not all of us, right? But some of us, we're not as bad as me. We're not sinners like, you know, Pastor Jonathan, who's a horrible person, right? Some of us are actually good people. We actually care. We're actually faithful. In fact, I've seen you. I've seen you intercede for miracles, praying and asking God day after day to heal and to heal, and God will heal. Keep it up. Keep it up, right? I've seen you read the Bible day after day, wondering how this applies, this farming analogy again. What are we with these oxen that go astray, these sheep, right? God is challenging you. He's going to change your life. Keep reading the Bible, right? Keep giving generously because God loves a cheerful giver, even if you've been ripped off 
one too many times by that person, right? Keep sharing the gospel with someone who's so sick and tired of you sharing it. You may not convince that person that Jesus loves them, but God will. Keep leading people in discipleship and love, especially if you're a leader here, or leader of a family, because the loneliness and anxiety that pervades people's lives, because we're all trying to keep up with appearances, that's going to flee in the power of Jesus. Keep it up. Keep encouraging. This is what an act of faith looks like. This is what faith in action looks like, right? Faith with action is alive. That's James' second point. When we stop the pleasantries, when we stop the empty words, when we stop trying to do the right thing, we find ourselves being able to act. Let's go to verse 18. We're going to see this. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You see, this hypothetical someone, that, that's some of us. That's some of us. We think that they're, in fact, what we understand or what society teaches us, we can do good works devoid of God, right? That, that, that's what humanistic moralists teach us, right? That you don't need God to do good. But what James is saying is the exact opposite. You don't actually do good without God. There is no incentive for you to do good for other people, to show other people that you love and to love them, to love God, because there's nothing in it for you. You, you see, you can't do you can't love other people without God having your love first, right? And this is what James is saying. And so because, because God loves you first, because you have faith and you believe that, you are going to act that way. It's going to change the way you relate to people. It's going to change the way you relate to circumstances. Because when the situation is dire and the circumstances are grim, it's going to change how you perceive how God provides in your life. That's what faith is. And when it's alive and active, you know very well because you have acted out in that faith because God has provided and you act like God has provided. See, it's going to change how you serve. It's going to change who you serve. The cross matters. Jesus matters. Our faith matters. And what belief has to translate to is tangible actions that actually signify that you believe what you say you believe. This is the point James wants to make. I want to show you this in verses 20 to 25 now. It says this, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Here, James uses two examples from the Old Testament, Abraham and Rahab. But before I get there, I want to address verse 24 because verse 24, we find a very familiar argument, a familiar argument especially for those of us who have encountered Catholics and You know, in fact, if we encounter any other religion in the world that asks Christians why it's by faith alone, by grace alone, in Jesus Christ that we are saved, that we obtain salvation, the reason we have that is because we can't earn it. Every other religion says you can earn it. And in fact, when you read verse 24, if you read it out of context, you'll, you'll, 
you'll, you'll see James almost saying that you can earn it. But James is not saying that because when you read this one passage, when you read this verse in context with everything else, just like Paul in Romans, it roots a person's justification before a holy, a sinless God in their faith. Right? You have to have faith. You have to believe that the work of Jesus Christ on the cross save us, right? And that faith that you believe that happens, it's made visible by your actions. Not that you work out your salvation and then you believe, but that you believe so it's worked out and you continue to live like it, right? This is what James is saying, right? Your eternity is secured. This is where you start in the provision of God. How many of us live lives like God has provided? Or are we still running around scared, like we're naked and we're alone? This is not counterfeit. This is the real deal. That's the difference between all other religions and the one we're in. That Jesus saves, not because we did, not because we earned it, but because he loves us so much that he sent his son for us. This is amazing, right? And so he gives us examples in Abraham, in Genesis, actually. This is where I want to spend some time in the Bible with us this, this morning. So Genesis chapter 17, I, I want all of us to go there in our Bibles. Genesis 17, we're going to pick up Abraham's story because he, he assumes that we are familiar with his story. But we, what we have to understand about Abraham's story is it unfolded over many, many, many years in his lifetime. And Abraham didn't start just as the father of faith, just assuming that he has God and this friendship with God. It assumed and it brings us to a place where we can find ourselves most times. Genesis chapter 17, we're going to pick it up in verses 15. We'll start there. And God said to Ab- Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. You could circle that, right? This is the father of our faith. And he said to himself, this is disbelief, right? Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, he kind of believes now, right? Because he changed her name already. Who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham's 99 years old when God tells this to him. He lived his entire life, no kids, no no heir, right? And so Abraham laughed, well, because realistically, 99-year-olds don't have sons. They don't have kids, right? They're, they're waiting to die. And so here, he had no faith for what God was about to do. Let's go to chapter 21. Go to chapter 21 with me, right? Then the Lord visited Sarah as he said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. The writer of Genesis just wants to point out the impossibilities on top of impossibilities that God provides, right? God provided a son in his old age at 100 years old. At 91 years old, there was a son, there was an heir, finally, the promises that he made in chapter 17, which was a year ago. He made those same promises in chapter 12 when Abraham's leaving, right? When he's leaving his family's land, he makes these same promises. It doesn't come to fruition until he's 100 years old, an entire lifetime, right? 
Abraham did nothing. He did nothing to earn that. Do you all see that? He did nothing to earn God's provision, God's promise, right? That was all God. That was all God. And now let's go to chapter 22, switch the page, right? Go to the next page. We're going to pick up in verse 2 in chapter 22. God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell. So from verses 3 through 8, Abraham starts the journey. He's ready. He's getting ready to do what he has to do. Verse 9, we're going to pick it up again. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound him, bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Look how close he's coming. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son, the promise that God had given him. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. The angel said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is what acting in faith looks like. Believing that God will provide and do just as he said he would because God is faithful. I, I, I want us to see this, right? Like that Abraham was prompted an heir. He was promised an heir. And God says, you know what? The one son that you have who's supposed to give you nations, your wife, Sarah, right? This is chapter 17. She's supposed to be the mother of nations. You're supposed to be the father of nations. God says, give it all up. Do you believe, do you trust that I am about to do in your life at 100 years old what I said I could do? And Abraham's action said, yes. I believe that. You gave him Isaac. You gave me Isaac. I can give him back to you. That, that's a huge risk. I, I don't know if you know how this works, but you can't have an heir without an heir. Right? No children, no heir. And, but God is faithful, isn't he? Do, do you see any of your story, your salvation story, in the elements of Abraham's here? You see, when we're still weak and unable, Christ died for us when we were ungodly. While we were all sinners, Christ died for us, securing our eternity. He promised us eternity when we didn't deserve it, when we didn't earn it, when we did nothing for it. We simply believe. Now the question is, how are we responding to God's faithfulness for us? You see, when we act in faith because we know that God has promised us to bless us, to love us, to never forsake us, to live presently in a way where our eternity is secured and that we know that our eternity is secured, it's got to be visibly present in our lives. Every action, everything that we do must reflect that. That's what faith is, right? See, Abraham wouldn't be called friend of God, father of faith, if he didn't live his life believing that God would provide. You, you see, Abraham's faith was proven because of what he did, right? Because of what he believed and how he acted in his belief. That brings us to the story of Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho. 
her story. We're going to pick up her story in Joshua chapter 2. You don't have to go there. I'm going to read it to us. Right? I'm going to skip some verses, but you can write it down so you can study it later. And they, and this is Joshua, he sent two spies from the Israelite camp right, to do some recon. And, he, and they, right, these two spies, went and came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to close at dark, the men went out. I did not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overcome them. A few verses later, this is what we find out. Before the men, these are the Israelite men. Before the men went to lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you this land. Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers and sister and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Then she let them down by a rope through a window, for her house was built into the city wall. She lived in the city wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. You see, Rahab took action. That action, if we read this just normally, that's treason, right? Punishable by death. She gave up her own country to two spies. You all see that, right? That's not just me. She, who was a pagan, who had no promise in the family of God with the people of Israel, gave up her nation because she has heard, because she believed what God was about to do and give. Right? This is acting in faith. And so here, I want you to understand the type of risk that she took. This was a huge risk. She risked treason, being caught for treason. If she was caught in any of her lives, it meant death. Right? Not just death for her, but death for her entire family. And so she gave everything up for God, for what God promised. But here, here's what's more interesting. The people that James chose, Abraham and Rahab, they couldn't be of two more different social and economic classes of people. You see, Abraham was rich. He had influence. He had the ears of kings. God had made sure of this. He had wealth. Right? He had friends. He was able to influence things politically. This was Abraham. And so taking risks for Abraham was kind of easy because he's seen and he's shown, he's been shown what God is possible and what God is capable of doing. And so when God says, hey, take another step, it wasn't, maybe, maybe it wasn't a big deal, but maybe it was, right? It is still his own son. But when Rahab came to the picture, she had no experience with God. She had no experience. And yet God honors her. You took a risk because you trust me. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to welcome you into my family. Jesus' lineage traces back to Rahab, traces back to Abraham. You see, we are all descendants of faith and action. We're descendants of faith and action. We can't stand here not being people of action and faith because that's where our lineage is, right? God takes care of his people, of people who put their trust in him. This is what we have to understand. This is what we have to know. I, I, I think that this is beautiful. I, I think this is beautiful because the prostitute here risked everything. 
And so James concludes chapter 2 and verse 26 by saying this, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. My challenge to all of us today is this, what works of faith are present in your life right now? What works of faith are present in your life right now? Maybe for some of us, that, that's to receive Jesus as our Savior. We've heard it so long. We've come, come to church so often, right, that we admit we're a sinner, unworthy, unable to receive God's love and mercy. But you believe that Jesus' death on the cross was to pay our debt our debt of sin, past, present, and future, not because we deserve it, not because we earned it, but because we believe God loves us. If that's you, then act in confession. Confess that the resurrection secures our eternity. That's what gives us hope. Maybe, maybe we've already received Jesus as our Savior. Maybe we have to take the next step. Maybe we actually have to start living, living the way we believe that our eternity is secured, to take risks that we should have taken years and ages ago. And so now we're, we're sitting and we need to repent and say, God, help us, help us take that risk. Maybe it's to take a chance to, to live into the vision that God has given you because you know what? You've been so afraid that God couldn't provide. But faith says otherwise. If God can secure your eternity, what can't he do for you now? Be bold. Maybe for some of us that, that means to not just pray empty words, not to just pray in crisis, but to make every part of our lives filled with prayer. Prayer that begins and ends with conversation with God. Prayer where it doesn't pretend, but that leads to real action. And that action means that we're, we're fixing broken relationships because we believe God will heal them, that God will mend them. Because that's what we believe in faith. Because if our relationship with God can be fixed through the blood of Jesus, what relationship that we have now can't be fixed by it? Maybe we, we give generously and sacrificially even though we're in our eyeballs in debt because we know God has already provided. God has already provided a way. God has already provided for your generosity and that's the type of God he is, right? Maybe, maybe for some of us, it's to not look at these opportunities that we present week after week and say serve and serve to actually serve, to show up, show up. Show up and serve people that you would never, ever in a million years encounter to serve because you have no business meeting these people. Make them your brothers and sisters. These brothers and sisters who walk with us, right? And if you don't know where to start and if you don't know how to start, it starts by asking God to give you the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can transform us. To transform us from the inside out. Because when we do, we're going to find God's power. We're going to find his provision. We're going to find his mercy. We're going to find his grace. Fill our every actions, our very being. This is what faith looks like. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Hey, let's pray. Father in heaven, give us the faith that we need to believe that you will provide as we act, full of your Holy Spirit, because we know that your Spirit is here with us, because that is what you promised. And God, you keep your promises. God, help us live into that truth, to live that our faith, even though it's so difficult to live in action with sometimes, that it moves us to be genuine, to, to, to have meaning, to find risks. 
because you command us to jump into the unknown because you have already provided. Lord, we, we don't know the outcome of many things. We don't know the outcome of what you're calling us to do. But Lord, I, I know what we do need is to experience your power, to experience your faithfulness, to the same way you provided for Abraham and Rahab. No matter where we are in our faith journey, I ask and I pray, God, that you will do so for us so mightily because of your love for us that we would not be able to doubt, not be able to doubt what you have in store. God, let your faithfulness, let your provision in our lives flow from us into the lives of our children and our grandchildren so that our neighbors see it, so that this church, your people, can be found full of life because you provide, you always did, you always will, and we believe that you're going to continue to do so because you are king, you are Lord. Lord, Lord, I, I just, people right now who, who are listening or watching or, or in this room, God, that they, they're suffering from depression and loneliness and anxiety, God. They, they are doubting your ability to save us, to save you and me from the sin. God, this morning, I ask that you give these individuals these choice interactions, these divine appointments, so that they themselves can take leaps of faith to give up what they know as anxiety as their norm, their loneliness as their norm, the depression as their norm, and be full, to be full of our Savior, to be full of love because you rescue us. Lord, we thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.